The following is a sermon that was preached at Faith Lutheran Church in Sharpsburg, Georgia. For more information about our church or to hear past sermons from Faith Lutheran, visit georgiafaith.com. Thank you for listening. Grace, mercy, and peace are yours from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, my dear fellow redeemed. But, mouse friend, you are not alone in proving foresight may be vain. The best laid plans of mice and men go off awry and leave us only grief and pain for promised joy. This is the most famous stanza of Robert Burns's November of 1785 poem, To a Mouse. Robert Burns in this poem describes his work as a farmer. He was out plowing his field one day, and as he was plowing, he ran over the nest of a mouse. No doubt this mouse had spent a considerable deal of time constructing its leaf and twig fortress, but in an instant, all the plans of this mice were dashed and brought to rubble. Burns penned this poem as a sort of apology to the mouse. He felt bad for destroying its carefully constructed house. That most famous line of this poem, the best laid plans of mice and men go off awry, serves as a reminder both to mice and to us humans that even our most ingenious ideas don't always go as we would hope. In our gospel lesson, we see a lot of planning taking place. We see a conspiring king attempting to further solidify his throne. Herod planned the inhumane and the horrible. But God had a different plan. God had a plan of redemption for the weary. God had a plan of preservation. In our Gospel text, we see God preserving the life of Jesus, and by doing so, God preserves our lives as well. Everyone has a famous, a favorite Christmas text or a Christmas account. Maybe for you, your favorite account of Christmas comes in Luke's famous Christmas story. I mean, what can outclass the song of that great throng of angels singing glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests? Or maybe for you, one of your famous favorite Christmas texts comes from one of those numerous Old Testament prophecies. There's such great peace and tranquility in the words of Isaiah 11. The wolf will live with the lamb, the leopard will lie down with the goat, the calf and the lion and the yearling together, and a little child will lead them. What beautiful Christmas texts. But one doesn't often see the second half of Matthew chapter 2 among the top ten list of best Christmas texts of all time, and that's in large part due to the plan made by King Herod. To say that Herod deserved to get coal for Christmas, while that would be a bit of an understatement, this was a man who committed a slew of atrocities, most of which were in the name of preserving his throne and his power. Herod had his brother-in-law murdered. He murdered all the males of the former king's family. He exiled one wife and one son. He killed another wife and three of his sons. Even on his deathbed, he gave orders to his sister 
to kill many of his rivals after his death. This was a man who was driven by, at times, paranoia to protect his power and his throne. So when the Magi came previously in chapter 2, his ears perked up to what they said. The Magi had told Herod, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Herod would have certainly been listening intently to the Magi's words. Another king living in his kingdom? That just wouldn't do. Herod made plans to do away with this other king of the Jews. It didn't really matter what stood in his way. He was going to do whatever it took. Tell every lie in the book to finish off this king of the Jew problem that he was having. So Herod commanded the babies of Bethlehem and its surrounding area to be murdered. Any son that had not yet had their third birthday. Herod's plan didn't succeed in taking the life of Jesus, the true king of the Jews, but it did succeed in taking the lives of many innocent babes. What would you say to these parents living in Bethlehem and the surrounding area? Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace to those on whom its favor rests. But where's the peace? There's only weeping and mourning. The wolf will live with the lamb, the leopard will lie down with the goat, the calf and the lion and the yearling together, and a little child will lead them. Where's this tranquility right now? One of the animals just rose up and struck down my child. For those living near the time of the first Christmas, Life wasn't feeling quite so Christmassy for them. Herod's plan might not have succeeded in taking the life of our Savior, but it did succeed in ripping apart the lives of those in Bethlehem. What would you say to someone today whose Christmas season isn't feeling quite so Christmassy? What would you say to someone whose life isn't quite so much angels singing and constant joy, but their life seems a little bit more like Matthew's quoting of Jeremiah, which we found in verse 18. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping in great mourning. Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. What would you say to yourself? Christmas is supposed to be only full of happiness and laughter and joy. And yet oftentimes that isn't reality. I can't speak to your experience here at Faith, but I would imagine you've had a similar experience to my experience at my church, Abiding Grace. In the past two months, we've had three funeral services. We've had other members who have had loved ones pass away. We've had some get sick, some get injured. There's been troubles at work and problems at home. But it's Christmas! We can't so easily separate our lives into two buckets. One bucket happy and uplifting and Christmassy, and another bucket that's downcast and sad and disheartened. Our lives don't always go according to plan. Sometimes our Christmases don't feel quite so Christmassy as we think about what we've lost. Those parents in Bethlehem, they certainly would have been able to relate to that. 
Dear Christians, when Herod comes destroying the babes of Bethlehem, or death comes separating from those who you love, no words from the lips of man can speak to your heart of sorrow. Instead, we must look to God. We look to a God who does have a plan. In his mighty, perfect plan, God preserved the life of Jesus, and by doing so, he preserved our lives as well. It took Joseph a lot of trust to obey and listen to the words of this angelic messenger. Joseph was getting some sleep, maybe something he wasn't completely familiar with. He does have a baby, after all. And as he's sleeping, this angel of the Lord appears to him and tells him to flee to Egypt. It would have been easy for Joseph to raise an objection, or or at least wait until it was morning. But Joseph doesn't do that. He immediately listens to this angelic messenger. Why? Well, Joseph trusted in God, and he trusted in God's plan. But it's not always quite so easy for us to trust in God's plan. We don't have the benefit of an angel messenger appearing to us. Sometimes it can feel like life isn't going according to plan. It would have been nice for those parents living in Bethlehem if an angel of the Lord would have appeared to them, at least explaining the entire situation. But that didn't happen. Instead, these parents were left in the dark. Sometimes it can feel like we're left in the dark a bit too. We can get furious when life doesn't go how we expected it to. Or we can get disheartened when we can't quite see the light at the end of the tunnel. It's our life. We like to be in the driver's seat. It's frustrating to sit there in the passenger's side, watching the wheel turn every which way. When the path of life isn't so clear and it doesn't seem like there's light at the end of the tunnel, we turn our eyes to the God who sent the true light into the world. We look to our Savior, Jesus, who came, born in Bethlehem, just as God had planned to bring light into the world. According to God's plan, Jesus was born, and according to God's plan, Jesus was going to live a perfect life in our place. He was born under the law to redeem those under the law, as we heard in our second lesson from Galatians chapter 4. And according to God's plan, Jesus was going to make it to a cross on Calvary, where he would eventually die to pay for the sins of the world. And then God had in mind for Jesus to rise from the dead, to pay for the sins of all sinners. But in order for Jesus to make it to Calvary, first he had to live long enough to see that day. God had to preserve Jesus physically so that he could preserve all humanity spiritually. The enemies of God, they didn't wait for the Christ child to grow up there, were immediate, there was immediate opposition to God and his plan of salvation. God appears to Joseph in three separate visions in this short text. This plan is crucial for God, and it's crucial for us in our salvation. We see Joseph carrying out all of God's instructions to the T. After, after all, Joseph needed Jesus to be his Savior as well. The life of the baby Jesus was preserved from wicked King Herod. As God had planned, Jesus did live a perfect life in our place. And just as God ordained, he made it to that cross on Calvary where he died. 
And although it seemed impossible, he rose victorious from the grave just as he had intended to do. The life of baby Jesus was preserved from all the threats of Herod and his enemies so that our salvation could be preserved as well. Let's return to some of those hard questions that we asked earlier. What would you say to those parents living in Bethlehem who had had their sons brutally slaughtered? Or what would you say to someone living today whose Christmas hasn't felt quite so Christmassy? There's no human wisdom that we can use to fix these situations, but we can show these people in pain their Savior, that King of the Jews who was born in Bethlehem. Jesus came for all those babes who gave up their lives, and he came for their parents who were left mourning as well. Jesus came for all of those who have gone before us, and he's come for us too who are left grieving. Jesus did give up his life for us according to plan. Sometimes the picture isn't quite so clear for us, but we place our trust in Jesus. There is light on the horizon. Jesus is that light. He came at Christmas for all those Christmases that don't feel so warm and fuzzy. He came to defeat every plan of evil in our place, giving up his life for our salvation. The best laid plans of mice and men go off to rye. The plan of that mouse in Robert Burns's poem, it didn't go as he had hoped. All of his plans came to naught in but an instant as Burns and his plow ran over his nice house. Our plans and desires often veer off course as well. It's in these moments when we look to God. God preserved his plan of salvation. No plan of Herod could stomp out the life of Jesus. God came at Christmas to save all humanity just as he had planned. And now we place our trust in him. We confidently confess with David in the Psalms, In God I trust. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? God grant us all this trust. Amen. And the God of peace himself grant you peace at all times and in every place. Amen.